Here's a story of a spiritual tradie. Impossible. Who is raising the vibration of the world? Ego much? Alchemist turning lead to gold. Go, go, go. Like no other. No, no, no. And doing bicep curls. It's the story of a man named Trady. And he was spiritual. He's the eldest of three boys you know. Was in the concrete and stormy weather. But now he's going home. Home, home. Because one day this simple tradie met a fellow. Oh, hello. Who gave him a mantra with a punch. Started a podcast and it went viral. And then what? And that's the way we all became the tradie bunch. The tradie bunch. Oh, yeah. The tradie bunch. The tradie bunch. That's the way we became the tradie bunch. Yeah, that was good. Before we begin the podcast, we have to give a shout out to Babs. Hi, Babs. <laughs> because she's listening to the podcast now. Amazing. So we're sending Babs love. Hi, Babs. We love you. Um, Jewel and non-jewel. Yeah. What's the tantric hatha perspective on jewel and (laughs) (laughs) non-jewel? Have we started? Yes. Welcome. Shri, 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 shri. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Start again. What do you mean start again? I wasn't ready. Oh. Um, My dual self wasn't ready. Yes. <laughs> uh, if you are non-dual, then theoretically you'd always be ready. Correct? Well, both are true at all times. Ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what does it even mean, non-dual and dual? <laughs> Wow. Hi, everybody. Does it it depend who's asking? (laughs) Yeah, we've really, you've really haven't given me a chance to warm up before before that knowledge could flow. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Jewel and non-jewel. Well, both are true, right? Like whether we practice yoga or we're immersed in, in any tradition that deals with consciousness and the nature of reality yes um we always get stuck in paradoxes Mm. uh, in the paradox of the physical material world which is very much relative and finite yes and ever-changing always changing always changing (laughs) Um, and um and the transcendental absolute absolute experience which is yeah, which is... Never changing. There's no time and space. Eternal. All of the things you just said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and in a more, you know, a more scientific term to throw in so that for anyone that's listening that maybe doesn't practice meditation or, or yoga or hasn't immersed in any wisdom tradi- traditions is the quantum field. Mm-hmm. Um, that we live in this most exciting time where what the wisdom traditions and what... Um, quantum physics um the subtlest level of of science has been teaching yes. uh, their meeting um mm-hmm. in this field of being in this quantum field or this infinite field of potentiality uh where anything is possible uh where everything that is manifest or is physical in the world comes from mm. before something exists it it's potential right yes and um potentially <laughs> <laughs> and um 
And so the paradox of all of this is that both are true, that on the surface of life... Both what is true? On on the surface of life, we are physical and there will be a, a day that comes where we leave the body and we die mm-hmm. uh, and this body won't exist again in, in this form. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on another level, at the same time, a part of us can never die. Mm. A part of us is eternal It and at the risk of, of being esoteric, is never born and never dies, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, e- exists uh, boundlessly. And both are true at the same time. On the surface, I'm physical and at my depths, I'm, I'm pure consciousness, I'm pure vibration. Mm-hmm. I exist as potential and then parts of me manifest and, and then die away and, and new parts are born from my potential. Mm. And... And I think that's a lot to get our heads around. And it sounds so philosophical initially until we're having that direct experience. Mm-hmm. So until we're having the experience in our lives where we can at once sit with the know- with the knowing that a part of me will die, will end, and a part of me is eternal, uh, then I think it always lives on the level of concept until we have that experience ourselves. And mm-hmm. And it's even are, hard to get the concept into your brain until you have in the until you have some kind of experience. I want to say you almost can't understand it until you're experiencing it, even if you get it theoretically or intellectually. And, yeah. And so different traditions have at times, you know, to go back to what is dual and what is non-dual. Um, different traditions at times have had different worldviews, where some traditions, like the tantric tradition, believes mm-hmm. that it's all one. We are just energy and Matter is just energy vibrating, um, you know, at a particular frequency, which quantum physics would would um, confirm for us that mm-hmm. even though all of nature is made up of atoms, and the the deepest subtlest part of the atom is the nucleus, um, actually, when we look inside the nucleus, there's nothing solid at all. It's all energy and particles that appear and disappear, mm-hmm. like uh, science fiction stuff yep. <laughs> that now is very much science, mm-hmm. and so. Tantra just goes straight to that perspective that everything in life is energy. Everything in life emerges from this infinite field of potentiality. And so even though things appear solid, we're not solid at all. Uh, Mm. We're all energy and therefore we're all one thing and and therefore we're all one. Mm -hmm. Whereas other more dualistic um, traditions, Mm -hmm. they have the same idea, but they just present it slightly differently. Um, you know, we're classical philosophy or Sankhya philosophy. Would they say that we are being the real thing and the relative world is not real? Some traditions do talk about that. Advaita Vedanta talks about this level layer of Maya, uh-huh. which is like this illusion mm. uh, between what is real and what is unreal and that we are ignorant, ignorant in, in the sense that we ignore our energetic and unbounded self and mm-hmm. give preference to what we can feel and touch and see, our physical self. Uh-huh. But classical philosophy is specifically called non-dual in the yoga world at least um, that I live and breathe in, um, in the sense that matter and spirit are separate, mm-hmm. that energy is one thing and the material world is another thing. And to some extent, that's true as well, right? Because when mm-hmm. we listen to the non-dual worldview, we think, oh, yeah, I believe in that. Let's all be one. <laughs> um, and I get that energy is, or, or matter rather, is just energy mm-hmm. vibrating at a different frequency. But when you listen, when you really unpack the, the um, non-dual 
the dual perspective, sorry, um, of classical philosophy, um, what we really start to see that that's true as well. It's just a matter of language almost, mm -hmm. that they're saying we are physical beings, right? If I touch my leg as I'm doing now, it feels solid. Mm. The couch I'm sitting on now feels very solid. I know that all people in my life today will one day die and they will be gone and they are not coming back in that form. And that's what they mean by material, mm -hmm. something that is limited and finite. Um, but then, for example, through the process of meditation, slowly our awareness becomes subtler and subtler until we can experience that um, part of us that is unchanging. Mm. And they're very different. They're different experiences. One is unbounded and timeless and another is fundamentally bound. And so that's what they speak to when they speak to duality, that there are these two experiences that we can have all these two polarities in life mm -hmm. and so really for me i like to think of it like glass half empty or glass half full the glass has a certain amount of water in it reality is the way reality is <laughs> yes but some people will see it as half full and some people will see it as half empty so mm -hmm. in the world of dual and non-dual reality is the way it is yes <laughs> and both are true the vibrational nature of reality and the fact that we perceive things as physical and 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 um, solid, mm -hmm. and it's just a matter of almost nuance and language as to whether we say that they're two different things or a spectrum um, from vibration to solidity that we can embrace and experience. Yes, would it not be true that the energy is also the manifest, or it would that be considered being at that point? The energy is also the manifest. Is, is energy relative or would the energy be considered non-relative, non being, absolute? It, well, it's absolute in the sense that you can never, energy never dies. Mm -hmm. It just gets transformed into something else. Right. So we go from potential energy, for example, if we use real life examples, in a match there's potential energy and then you strike the match mm -hmm. and it becomes heat energy yeah, in the form of fire and then eventually that, that heat can get transferred to something else or the match, the fire stops eating away at the wood of the match, but then it gets uh, released back out into the ether in the form of heat. And so mm -hmm. energy is always just being recycled. It's cyclical. So it's absolute in that sense. It mm. manifests in different forms in the way we experience it, but it never dies. Right. Gotcha. Interesting. Whoa, mm. Dan, we just like went straight into warp speed. I know. And I was looking at it from a different perspective as well, <laughs> because um, we believe that we're individuals, right? Uh-oh. But then if... On a, <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Well, on a, bigger, on a bigger picture scale, there would be one intelligence that is all the individuals at once, right? Yeah. So then there's the idea or the question... Do we really exist or we are we are just an illusion of our own minds? If only we had the answer to that question, mm. right? Um, if only. I'll tell you what I think, though. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go. Or, or what I feel. Please. Um, what I feel is that the more that I've been um, curious about the layers of, of consciousness mm. uh, and who I am and what I am, what I've come to experience is that I am that in my in my swimming in this in these vast subtle layers of my awareness, 
where I don't, there is no sense of Irene. There's no sense of me. Mm -hmm. There's no story. There's no conditioning. There's no preferences. There's no name. There's almost no form, you know. I'm not feeling sensations in my body. I'm actually in this deep presence, which is just, I am here. Mm -hmm. Just, I am, yeah. And the I is not even relevant to me as an individual. It's just pure existence, pure being. Mm -hmm. The more I've had that experience, the more when I open my eyes and I'm back in my life with my name and my family and my history and my experiences that I'm having in my life, the more excited I am to be the individual me, Mm -hmm. the more excited I am to um, really jump into life and It's fine. Continue on. Jump into life. And see life. um, Just a little technical (laughs) malfunction potentially. And see life as a gift. And Mm -hmm. so whilst it doesn't quite answer your question of are we this or are we that, Mm -hmm. in my experience, I I can't say we are or we aren't anymore because I feel like it's both. Mm. I am now identified with at my baseline, I am am you and you are me Mm -hmm. on an energetic level, Mm -hmm. right? But on the surface level, we are two completely unique individuals with not only different appearances and backgrounds and histories and ideas and desires, um, but unique gifts. Mm-hmm. And so I've dodged your, your question a little bit, but, <laughs> but like I've said, what I think is for me been the most inspiring and the most useful, that the more I have that experience that of our universality, um, mm-hmm. when I hit that that part of of my awareness which feels like that ground floor of awareness that i know for a fact you experience as well not only because you and i literally have spoken about it but all the students i've ever taught meditation to Mm -hmm. have had that experience and all the wisdom traditions teach to that as well if we needed any more validation yeah um but once i have that experience now i've gotten curious about that really subtle place all the little layers of identity of Irene-ness that start to um, build and grow out of that place. Yeah. Like, and you know, in yoga, we talk about the model of the mind as that, that Mm. we think of the mind as like this thing, um, this computer, almost this program within us, but actually a a bit like the way, um, uh, 3D printers print one layer at a time, our mind emerges like that out of the quantum field mm-hmm. or out of the field of consciousness if we used more metaphysical I language. I like that better. Yeah. 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 But both I think are important <laughs> because there are still people that get stuck in like, I'm on the science side, I'm on the philosophy side, I'm on the religion side. And I'm going to just say like to me they're all the same thing now because like, yeah. I've gone – deeply into the study of all three i'm a hopeless geek and like i've read books and studied and immersed in uh through my own curiosity in in the wisdom um you know traditions of the west and um and in science in quantum physics specifically and in religion and my background's jewish so i've been immersing a lot recently in judaism and kabbalah and retracing those steps for myself and you know, we see that the mind emerges out of that space, that Mm. before we have a thought on the surface level of thinking, there are all of these much more subtler experiences that we can have. And and the subtlest still is that just pure existence before there's any 
differentiation or uniqueness that emerges out of that quantum field a bit like Mm -hmm. when the seed germinates there's that first little bit that comes out of the seed and then it grows taller and then it bursts through the soil and then there's this flower at the top we're a bit like that flower where my you're a bit like a flower well you are too in the sense that (laughs) i that's how i see it now i see the mind and our uniqueness Mm -hmm. as a thinking feeling desiring person interacting with the outside world like that Mm -hmm. that at our depth we've got roots in this quantum field and Mm. then it feeds us so that eventually we burst through the darkness and we become this beautiful flower with our own fragrance and our own color you know and our own um you know all our race and and um the way we look Mm. it's a bit like that different flowers have different um families of flowers you know Mm -hmm. and they're all so incredibly beautiful Mm. that when we look through our eyes at flowers we can't fault them yeah Mm. you wouldn't say a daisy is necessarily any less miraculous than a rose Mm -hmm. um even though human beings tend to create these hierarchies of what is best (laughs) and what isn't and we're exactly the same as that like Mm. and so now i get to experience myself as the beauty of the flower Mm. that what i share is maybe my fragrance my essence um and how i look is is how this particular flower is and and the more i am connected to that that simplest awareness of mine that field of awareness i feel the richer all of those qualities on the surface become and i can really embrace them and be the most me me that's ever been mm-hmm. um and and so we see the gift in being both like how incredible to be a human being um to be aware of ourselves to be curious about where we come from and the nature of who we are so that we can both live on the surface and enjoy the material world and and the sensory world which where we feel what we like and what we don't like mm-hmm. and we tend to move towards what we like and move away from what we don't like and deeper still none of that matters Mm -hmm. some part of us has no preference and is just here is just existing but that would be pretty boring right yeah if you just existed full stop Mm -hmm. and so up at the surface we get to have desires and preferences that pull us and guide us on this path this Mm. life path towards the unique experiences we need to have and the unique imprint that we leave on the world Mm -hmm. and deeper still you know what helps us reconcile the moments when we suffer and we feel pain and we have things happen to us that we don't like, how comforting comforting is it to know that that doesn't define us either, mm-hmm. that our highs and our lows are experiences that we have and we can embrace, but deeper still, there's a part of us that's beyond all of that. Mm. Um, if you're listening to this, just know that I'm nodding in agreement, transcending. Yeah. <laughs> Come back to me. Uh, just like, yes, tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess, you know, the clincher to, to all of that, like the most beautiful part of that is that the beauty of my uniqueness is not only relative to that field of like, oh, the the more unified we are at that base field, the more unique we can be and it's beautiful because of that uniqueness. Mm-hmm. But my experience has been that the more I feel that part of me that is doesn't have a preference, beyond preferences, beyond unbounded thoughts, even? is unbounded, that mm-hmm. timeless, infinite part of me, never born, will never die. Yes. The more I've had the direct experience of that, and we can't explain it better than that, right? It's that kind of like, how can you explain the color blue if you've never seen the color blue? Mm-hmm. Like, go on, try and explain its qualities. Yeah. You can't. There are some things that you have to have a direct experience of. And mm. the more I've had that direct experience, the more that state actually has a quality. 
actually mm. has a flavor to it. Like a blueberry has a color and a flavor. Mm. That state is uh, peaceful. Is peaceful. Accepting. Is joyful. Is fulfilled. Happy. Is loving. <laughs> and it might sound like, oh, that's all very convenient. You mm-hmm. know, when we reverse engineer that, oh, go to that place because that place has all the qualities we're searching on the surface, or what uh, a beautiful divine tragedy or drama it is that we're really involved in in this in this whole experience of living that so much of what we're chasing on the outside actually is who we are at our baseline Mm -hmm. but we've grown so far out of that space and looked out that we've forgotten that Mm -hmm. that we've forgotten that at our baseline we are joy Mm. we are love we are truth we are wisdom maybe sometimes using the metaphor um of that of that shoot coming out Maybe there's weeds growing around the base, you know, and those weeds in the subconscious mind prevent us from being able to reflect and see what we really are. Of course, right? I mean, how mm. much is of our conditioning in modern life in particular um, encourages us to buy things mm. and to strive to achieve things in the world and that the more we have, the more successful we are. Mm. It is hard to dig beyond those hard, rigid beliefs mm. in order to experience something that's far more subtle. Mm. Um, it's hard to invest time and energy in closing your eyes and just sitting in stillness and um, and silence uh, when we're told in the world that the more you do, the more you are. The better you are. The better you are. Mm. And yet the wisdom traditions have told us for a long time, the less you do, the better you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the more you enjoy life. It is at complete odds with, with modern frantic mm-hmm. life. And you can hear the Vata mind asking the question, well, how can I, I have got a family, I've got a job, blah, 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 blah. I don't got time to be peaceful. That's yeah, kind of the problem. It's a real spanner in the works, right? Yeah. It's like, it's true. Yeah. Like, if we have children, if mm. we have loved ones, if we mm. run businesses, they take a lot of our attention and, and energy. our energy yeah. and our efforts. Mm. And so there is this, which is why the, the yogis and the rishis, the great um, beings and sages of our, t- of our time, um, they renounced all those mm-hmm. uh, pressures. Lots of them did. Some of them maintained householder status. That's true. That's mm. true. But... But so many of them really saw that um, that equation of mm. the more I give energy to what is outside of me in the world, the less energy I have, the less time I have to turn in and, and, and the more fulfillment, I should add, mm-hmm. really, because we've painted a little bit like family and friends and jobs and all of that is bad. <laughs> Absolutely not. They're so fulfilling, mm-hmm. right? Which is why we pursue them because they make us feel good. Mm. Um but then fundamentally diverts our attention from experiencing the the boundless fulfillment um, that we are at our baseline. Mm-hmm. And so, so many of the great masters uh, did renounce uh, family and societal life um, and aspirations in the world so that they could have that deeper experience. And so how amazing to live in this time that we live in mm-hmm. where we have access to all of those systems where those great masters have left us breadcrumbs through uh, yoga and meditation and qigong and tai chi and you know I, the list goes on yes um of all of these incredible um systems that allow us to retrace their steps in order to have that experience ourselves mm. but yet we can live in the world while we do this mm-hmm. there's been there have been enough masters to have done the research that there are some 
consistent systems that if you do the work and you follow this system, eventually it's your birthright to have the innate experience of, of your, um, of your nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we in the world, ha- not, not exactly. As and so it. we have that experience of our nature. Mm. The more we, we have that experience every day, it becomes more stabilized. It's like, you don't forget it anymore. It's mm-hmm. not some peak mystical experience. It's, I am that yeah. and I am this. Mm-hmm. I am that experience of my of my um my true nature and I'm also on the surface a person who mm-hmm. is limited and, and it can express the true nature through the personality. Exactly. And that's what the world needs right now. Ex- More I, being I, in the world. Hell yeah, that mm. that the that that's probably the most powerful way that mm. That's the most powerful form of activism, as I see it, in mm. the world today, to invest that even though the world is always pulling you to give all your time and energy to the physical world, to the material world, to choose to make time to contact that part of yourself every day and then to do the hard work to bring that into your everyday life mm-hmm. and to be that in the world as an example for others, I see no more powerful form of activism that every single human being can actually step towards mm-hmm. no matter their race, their religion, how much money they have in the bank, whether they're a man or a woman or identified as not a man or a woman, no matter who we see ourselves as, mm-hmm. if we contact that part of ourselves repeatedly, eventually we don't forget that this is who I am and and you become that in the world. And so mm. if our natural state is loving and peaceful and wise and capable of anything and everything, if more people are walking around in the world as that, I can only see that being positive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good intro. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you. So where have you been? Uh, <laughs> we haven't told the world about our tennis, our tennis skills yet. That's true. You and I have been playing tennis recently. We have. Our relative physical selves have been playing tennis. Yes, <laughs> tapping into our more surface level competitive nature, which, you know, it's, <laughs> which runs deep, <laughs> you know, it's great that you bring that up because it's so totally relevant to what we've been talking about that mm. you and I spend a lot of time, um, in that transcendental, uh, layer of life. Mm. Uh, and we love that. Uh, and it's informed who we are sitting here today so much, but at the same time, um, as I got to Byron Bay, <laughs> you, uh, for Christmas bought me a tennis racket and we've been exploring playing tennis <laughs> and how amazing that's been to just have fun with a sport that we both played when we were younger yeah. and to just use our bodies and mm. to challenge ourselves and, um, to feel the heat of competition and <laughs> competitiveness. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yet at the same time, you know, uh, I'll add you and I were talking a few weeks ago at the same time to play these sports connected to that deeper part of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so even though when I was uh, at school and, and very athletic, so much of my identity was around winning. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't win, a part of me really suffered. And now I love that I I, I want to win at the game and I want to get the ball over the net and I want to increase my skill, but on no level does that, does that chip away at my sense of self if, <laughs> yeah. if something's more difficult than I anticipated. You don't lose your identity from it. 
It's yeah. A, so like that's it's a, actually as we're talking, that's a real life example of how mm. the more I've gone into that that place that has no form, the more I'm enjoying life. The more mm-hmm. when I'm interacting with things on the surface, it's just so fun. It feels amazing to be able to play tennis. Like what a gift to have. It's so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, we've been playing tennis, but um, I've also just come accepting back... all challenges. By the way, bring it on. Oh, <laughs> we should say that if anyone's in the Byron Shire, or I'll be in Melbourne soon. If if anyone in Melbourne um wants to play a bit of tennis, hit us up. Oh, I see what you did there. Out <laughs> of the fun. Um, yeah, but tennis aside, I've just come back from Thailand. Ah. Um. And Were you teaching there or immersing? No, I was a student exploring a a, um, a twenty one day journey of of breath and exploring your voice. Mm. And you know, this is the first time I've really, as I'm sitting here, I'm realizing it's the first time that I've I've spoken about it. Like mm. people have asked me how was it, and I've I've sort of. Given bits you and saved pieces. it for the podcast. Yeah, I'm realizing I like as I sit here, like this is a, a far deeper chat, or I know it will be, knowing me and you, um, <laughs> uh, about my experience there. And and um, I want to say first, I've shared a bit on social media recently about the process of freeing my voice. Mm-hmm. And just to give people a bit of context for me, for why I started exploring voice more. Um, when I was 12, I... Um, went to a new school and um, and previously I'd been at a much smaller school and truly I'd had the experience through kindergarten and, and uh, primary school of everyone in, there was no popularity in class, like everyone was really well supported. Um, it was a really small class of like 20 kids in the whole year level and you knew everyone and you were friends with everyone and everyone played sport and everyone... Um, threw themselves into academic studies and science and just it just I'd never felt less than yeah and therefore as you can imagine I was pretty confident not only was I already like a a kid that loved learning and loved um, having experiences but um, but also that environment was such a healthy environment I'm so so grateful for it now as an adult when I look back Mm -hmm. and then when I was 12 in year seven I, I transferred to a much bigger school and um that was already intimidating. There were like different class systems and different groups and cliques and stuff. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, um, I felt like there were lots of different levels in terms of even maths and science, you know, and English and um, and as I found out music. So mm. uh, our first music class, I was blissfully, naively um, uh, entered entered the music room and the music teacher asked me to sing somewhere over the rainbow. And, um, I mean, that's a complex song, but that's almost irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so he said, uh, Irene sing somewhere over the rainbow. And I started singing in front of the class. No, this was you're on your own in the room. Uh, I started singing and, um, I don't even know if it was good or I, I didn't have that kind of like barometer. It was just like, I felt like you couldn't fail in life, right? Yeah. And so I started singing and, you know, he listened and, and then after he said, okay, thank you very much. So uh, this semester you'll be playing glockenspiels with Miss Kumaraswamy. Uh, it's just down the hall. Thank you very much. Yeah. See you right. later. And whilst now 
I understand that was the first time I ever failed at something. It happens on a much subtler, unconscious sort of level, mm-hmm. yeah? When you're this 12-year-old kid, you just realize, oh, my God, I, you just feel rejected. Mm-hmm. And then some part of you just feels pain. Mm-hmm. Not even that very mature, um, self-aware concept of, oh, I just think I failed at that. That's interesting that there's some sort of level of pass or fail. Mm-hmm. Hmm, I guess I could need to work on that in order to pass next time. It's just rejection rejection mm-hmm. um and pain and discomfort as a result of rejection and i think that was the first time that this idea was implanted in me of like that experience was painful so i'm never going to do that again because i don't want to experience that pain again mm-hmm. and i went to play glockenspiels with miss kumaraswamy who's amazing if there's any chance <laughs> in the world that you're listening was she um, an actual swami <laughs> <laughs> no oh no okay no, I think her name is of Indian descent, so ah. hence, hence the similarity. <laughs> she was the Swami of Glockenspiels. All right. <laughs> um, but uh, I think I realized that, yeah, I'd, I'd failed at that. Like mm. I've been asked to sing and I wasn't good at that and really it created years of of trauma and minor trauma in the sense that it doesn't exist on the surface level it's just this sense of when people start singing that fight or flight experience starts to just bubble up from within you Mm. and um and so I would avoid like singing in public and um I just really had this limiting story about myself that I wasn't a good singer Mm. um and fast forward many years when I started um, practicing yoga more and more and um, came across uh, bhakti and mantra practices and um, was in environments where we would chant, suddenly I would have this really euphoric experience that when I was chanting these these sounds, um, these mantras in a group with people, everything would soften, mm. I would soften, I would feel all this absolute joy. It felt amazing on a physical level to sing, mm-hmm. to, to release through the voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then if I ever had to do that on my own, no, 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 no. And all the stories come out. Oh, no, I can't. No, like karaoke would have been a fate worse than death for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and slowly, slowly, Mantra and Bhakti really brought to the surface of my awareness this idea that I had a bit of a blockage there. Mm. Now, it's not my fault, right? It's not my fault that this teacher said you're not going to be in this class this semester, you're going to be playing glockenspiels and that I process that as rejection. Another kid may, it may have gone straight over their head, right? But that's just the way conditioning works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so... It would have been a little bit more tactful if they had like told you a, a day later, not just on the spot, done it. Or how powerful if everyone in the class gets to sing for the semester, That's whether right. they're talented or not. Exactly. It's like That's everyone like... learns math and everyone learns English yeah. and everyone learns chemistry or whatever, you know? Yeah. There's yeah. there's both of those things. But, like, I'm 100% down for, like, being inclusive. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like this is some kind of Australia's Got Talent. It's school, for God, Christ's sake. Exactly. <laughs> some audition for... Yeah. For... X Factor. The voice. Yeah. Um... Yeah, but but it's all very beautiful in retrospect, right? Because whilst that was painful at the time, we all have these experiences that we process as painful. And, and then in my 20s and early 30s, I started to embrace bhakti a lot more and um, 
I really that already started to rewrite the programming of like singing is bad when you sing it causes pain mm -hmm. so now I had this experience of singing feels good because before I had you're bad at singing and when you sing it feels bad because you think it, you're being judged and you're bad at singing mm -hmm. now I had singing feels good and that brought to the surface how the only person holding any sort of connection to singing feels bad was me. Mm -hmm. I was holding on to the story, yeah, again, whether mm. it was my fault or not. I was holding on to this idea that um, when I sing, you are unsafe. You just reminded me that I used to be very afraid of singing in public at school. Yeah. I didn't realize that. And now I have this memory of standing in like a choir of people, <laughs> just like pretending to sing, like not. No, no words Miming. are coming out because I wouldn't. And I think it was more about self being self-conscious than yeah. just being super self-conscious. Yeah. And like maybe because I was always so in my head that when I speak out loud that I just feel super judged and super seen. So vulnerable. Yeah, I didn't even realize. I didn't remember that until just now. It's like but it's so interesting up. that you say this because as I've shared more online about my experience with voice and, and shame around voice and, and reclaiming that, mm. so many people have written to me. Like mm. so many people have written and said, I've had a similar experience. My mum told me that I was too loud and was always telling me to be quiet, you know, um, so either too much or not enough. Mm -hmm. um, or I used to always get told off for speaking my mind. Um, or even specifically, I was also told that I wasn't a good singer and that I wasn't musical and I should stick to other things. And mm -hmm. so many people came out of like my life who were saying, me too. Mm. I've also had that similar experience, which... For me, it was powerful in terms of I shared something that was super vulnerable for me. And not only the more I shared it and went into it, the less scary that monster was. Mm. But the more other people, it drew other people to have the same experience and, and, you know, has done its part in helping people look at that. And many of the people who wrote to me started writing about, okay, well, what have you been doing? And, you know, which courses have you done and which practices have helped you? And, mm -hmm. you know, that ripple effect becomes boundless. Yeah. Um, so what course did you do? Well, what course I did is um, I, I have a teacher called Amit Carmeli. He's uh -huh. a teacher from Israel. And uh, I did a five-day experience with him when he was in Melbourne and, and loved it and saw it brought to the surface all the blockage that I have around that throat center, around mm -hmm. self-expression and uh, creativity and, and singing and sharing my voice. And... Um, and so I went to Thailand to do 21 days um, of breath and voice work with him. And uh, he was a musician and, and still is, but he was a musician and uh, was always on the path as in always curious and exploring spirituality. But um, what he found was that the sigh was a really powerful gateway to your soul. The sigh? The sigh. As in? And your voice. <sighs> exactly. That. <sighs> <sighs> Yeah, that yeah. sighing is uh, a powerful technique of surrender. Mm. That when we laugh, when we cry, and when we sigh, there are moments when we're totally real. We're expressing through a moment of realness, mm -hmm. either real pain or real joy or just real release, yeah, mm. in the sigh. And so he started realizing that when he created sounds and these sort of surrendering, sighing, exploring himself through sighing and sounding, that one, it was very real. It mm. was what he was meeting was his real voice. And two, these practices allowed him to 
transcend the thinking mind that's always trying to sing or speak and and form something useful with the voice and perform exactly Mm. and that through this technique um, of just sighing which is almost no technique at all you know Mm -hmm. the more he let go into these um, natural sounds and into these sighs the more he was experiencing deeper parts of himself Mm -hmm. so it was a it became a meditation did he he discover this by himself. Yeah, so he mm. went on this three-year journey of exploring that whilst living mm. in the world and still being a musician. It's quite tantric though, isn't it, in nature, that practice? Of just letting go. Sighing, and... like using the bre- voice ah. to express and to... Yep, yeah, Neo-Tantra up. uses ex- expression mm. oh, and voice Neo-Tantra, I haven't heard that one before. Yeah, modern Tantra, mm-hmm. modern Tantric practices. And, and it, admittedly, Mantra, uh, like, really uses <clears throat> bass sounds, mm-hmm. Um really yeah like it's onomatopoeic in language sanskrit so yeah. it's it's expressive of different parts of consciousness just that sometimes mantra can be invocational as opposed to sighing which is releasing in a way you know what i mean it's you're not really invoking with yes sighing. but is it a nuance of language in the sense that yes mantra is invoking something specific mm-hmm. when we're using it as a specific tool mm-hmm. but i'd almost say that if we just repeat mantras continuously then they're trans they allow us to let go and oh absolutely for sure yeah 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 Yeah. Mm. let's let's move on (laughs) and there's no argument there (laughs) just that that it's going to be hard to yeah you're not invoking with a sigh that's all my point was correct yeah correct it's a a release it's generally like a it's Direct a release, release yeah. and it's an innate release. You know, mm. we we do that without thinking we're doing a, some sort of special technique, mm-hmm. without knowing. It's just like but, you plonk yourself on the couch at the end of the day, and this sound comes out. There's, mm. oh. but you'd hold on to them too in in certain situations where it wouldn't be perceived to be the right thing to do. You're not going to go to your boss. Oh, correct. You know, and people will often say like, "Whoa, what was that?" If you like breathe, if you exhale really deeply, mm-hmm. but there's some deep. Uh, deep beyond mind part of us part mm. of our nervous system it was that, beyond the mind now you've awakened it and it's a part of our conscious mind now yes but some mm. part of us will just do that naturally right, right. is is it the point i really want to drive home that mm. we all sigh and we all have these bigger exhales that on some level it's like balancing the the pressure yeah mm-hmm. within us and so he really took this and 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 realized whilst it's not the whole of his offering he realized that working with sighing can be a powerful way to help us let go and surrender, let go of the mind, let go of our story, let go of who we think we are on the surface of life, mm-hmm. <laughs> to bring it back to dual and non-dual, um, and and to just experience the subtlest parts of who we are. And, mm. and I had that experience through that, that just through this continuous sighing on the exhale, sighing on the exhale, it took me into really deep states, mm-hmm. really deep states of awareness. And so... Um, initially he offers you the sigh, um, so that you have a tool to just keep letting go Mm -hmm. because once we start bringing in melodies and creating specific sounds that sound a little bit intentional, what happens? We all start trying to sing and Mm -hmm. we all start trying to sing well. And those of us that are trying to be the good students sabotage the whole experience of just letting go (laughs) and expressing Mm -hmm. because we're trying to do it well. And I am the number one kind of mm-hmm. candidate for for that i part of this work what's been so clearing for me is it's brought to the surface all the ways in which i try and do it well mm. even when i've been told okay here's a sigh and try and do the best sigh i can do you mm-hmm. know which i mean it's 
it's the opposite of it's like don't care at all just sigh for your freedom is what he'd often say like (laughs) i don't care what your sigh sounds like but Mm. i care that you're not trying to do some sort of correct sigh because that defeats the purpose (laughs) yeah um and so yeah like you work a lot with this sighing and this letting go Mm -hmm. and moving through layers of body mind all the way through to to soul to Mm. to your deepest consciousness yeah your yourself is just so so you would add sorry to interrupt but you would add sound other sounds as the mechanism and then the sigh would be the release because like well, the way so the way work that... with sighing in isolation mm. but then he'd he'd play different melodies and rather than singing the words to those melodies of these mm. these um songs that he'd come across from all indigenous cultures around the world you would sigh the melody out mm. yeah so if so if for example if we have happy birthday to you you'd go Ah, and so gotcha. you sigh the melody and you follow like the the intonation of the melody but you let go into it so your voice meets the melody and it's almost like you're a witness watching the two collide rather than <laughs> rather than you are singing a melody mm-hmm. which is so surface level when we compare it to there is this breath there is this voice that can emerge out of you that you can witness Mm -hmm. that clearly is not you comes from a deeper part of you Mm -hmm. and when you merge it with the sound of the melody in the room and other people's voices it does this organic thing that almost feels like it's beyond you Mm. like you're observing it and and that's the whole essence you know without getting too bogged down in the technique of you know what he does i highly Mm -hmm. recommend going experience it for yourself if there's any charm from hearing me talk Mm. um in that in that sense Going back to Tantra, physical touch would be the melody. The sigh would still be the release, in my experience. You know what I mean? Say that again. The physical touch would be like the melody. Ah, yes. You know? So yeah, the yeah, sigh yeah. yeah, there. exactly. Mm. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> and so a few things happened for me. Mm-hmm. One, in that... Wait, one second, 23 days. 21 days. 21 days. Yeah. How did you stretch that out? <laughs> that's a long time I know that's a long time I know with 20 people in the room right. so it's group work as well it's very vulnerable mm. um, and there are moments where you never want it to end and other moments where you're like oh my god I'm I've had enough yeah did, did and you, that's all part of it right did you lose your voice no no not once because he's so big on softness and mm. surrendering mm. and not trying that you actually don't because we lose our voice when we've been trying and like mm. trying to hit notes or screaming or like, you know, volume Straining. or force or effort. Mm. And you're never asked to hit any note. In fact, he, you know, he would laugh. Like if anyone he senses is, is trying to do it well, he's like, you've, you've seriously misunderstood if you think that I'm going to be able to help you be a better singer. I am the wrong teacher for that. <laughs> this is the wrong course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but of course we do get to a certain, a certain, um, you tune up. Yeah. And yeah. so what I want to say is that the process for me, um, was really that phase one for me was through the invitation to just surrender and sigh. I met all the parts of myself that were opposing that experience, mm-hmm. all the part of myself that, felt I couldn't and I shouldn't and I need to do it well and if I'm not doing it well I don't want other people to hear me do it and just all the the story all the good student in me all the perfectionist in me all the part in me that is afraid of being judged and that judges myself all the parts of me that is ashamed about self-expression um and I met all of those parts for me mm-hmm. uh and so there was so much healing around all of that it's mm. I 
It some, was such an upgrade for out. me. Oh, every day. Every day. Every day. Mm. Um, and I got to really meet uh, my soul, mm. like through my voice. Like when I followed when I followed this experience of like surrendering through giving voice in the room, I really rested in my soul. And then when I expressed, it was coming from that place. Mm-hmm. Um, like I wasn't singing, Irene wasn't singing, like my my soul was given a voice mm-hmm. and it was expressing through the, the flute of my throat, you know? Yes. Um, so that was sort of phase one, like this deep healing around surrender. Uh, and the second part was really, and this is a myth idea that I wholeheartedly believe in, that our, our innate nature is musical. Mm-hmm. That even though you can train classically to play instruments and to sing and to perform, our innate nature is musical. And so I'll bring your attention to the birds and the whales and the wolf and the sound of the wind and, mm. you know, the, the sound of rain, like there is a rhythm and a melody to nature, to mm-hmm. life. Um, and so we are not exempt from that, even though we live as though we're disconnected from nature, we are very much connected and all of those animals and, and all of those plants and all of those elements come from the same field of being that mm-hmm. we as human beings emerge from. And so we have an innate musicality to our nature too and um, our, all our voices are different, all our speaking voices are different mm. uh, and how much all of that gets restricted and constricted by the mind. Mm-hmm. And um, something I shared online recently is something that's really resonated um, that your throat is between your heart and your head, mm. right? What a precarious place for this <laughs> this voice, this this. Yeah center of expression to be where Mm -hmm. what we hope is that everything we express and share in the world comes from our heart from our truth from Mm -hmm. what we what we stand for but how often do do limiting beliefs and conditioning from the mind somehow mix up um in that current before it gets expressed as the voice and so Mm -hmm. what comes out is something and we see it like we we have an intention to share something and then it comes out wrong and our voice shakes and we want to sing and suddenly we sound horribly out of tune and what we found is that when you're out of the way mm-hmm. and you're truly connected just to your heart and you're you're opening your throat and you don't know, you just don't know what sound is going to come out, but you're curious to meet, to hear yourself in the room and to meet whatever is being expressed through you, mm-hmm. you're always in tune. Mm. It's always beautiful. Hmm. It's always unique. And in fact, it keeps evolving. I met new voices every day where you're singing in the room, you're you know, sharing a melody in the room because sometimes you share individually, sometimes in the group and you're sharing in the room and some part of you is hearing and thinking, who is that? Yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't sound like you. It sounds insane, but mm-hmm. like it's such a beautiful experience of um, of evolution, real-time evolution, mm-hmm. real-time meeting new parts of yourself. And, and so I've emerged so much softer. Mm-hmm. And I've emerged really so much more connected to my innate creativity mm. and how and and lastly really curious about about where that's gonna take me. Mm. Uh, I truly feel like uh, I'm just at the beginning of that journey with music and mm. with sound and with self-expression. Um, I'm 
I'm like a, a baby taking its first breath in the world yeah. um, because I've never explored it. I didn't allow myself. Mm. And even though I've I've taught yoga and that was a purifying process to stand in front of people and speak my truth and share my, my um, experience of yoga, somehow mantra and singing and voice work has taken me even deeper mm-hmm. than just speaking. Because mm-hmm. for me, speaking is still very tethered to my mind. I'm also, as you said before, very cerebral, mm-hmm. like a big thinker. And so, so much of what came out of my mouth was actually coming down from the mind. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's unsafe to share and express from your heart. One of those reasons being from that music class moment. Mm-hmm. But when you learn things and you know them to be true and you're intelligent, then you can share that and you'll be validated in the world for that. I I've really feel like I've emerged having reprogrammed that for me, that part of me now is more interested in speaking about things that I don't know mm-hmm. and having experiences where I'm a novice rather than an expert than the latter. Who wants to already just like spurt out the things they already know. Like I want to talk about the things I don't know yet so I can learn through them. Yeah, yeah. Having uh, been in your classes and I'm sure your my listeners, your students can agree that not all of your classes come from your head. A lot of them are very from the heart. In my unguarded moments. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, you definitely put everyone in, in their heart in the room. But you were talking about your voice for 21 days you went on this retreat yeah you had to be silent for a week uh yeah so part of that that was was silence and um that was amazing because you're used to it (laughs) it's easy (laughs) look i am this ambivert who likes to spend a lot of time inside so admittedly there was no challenge in just being silent and being with myself whereas Mm -hmm. There was some challenge for other people in the space and they were open about that and shared that that it was challenging just to kind of not fill the time with talking with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that part came quite naturally. Um, but the reality is the thing that was really beautiful for me was the contrast of mm-hmm. being in silence all day. And you have a, you know, a roommate who you're sharing space with as well. And to, to really understand that silence is more than not speaking words. Mm. Like for us, silence was not engaging with the outside world. Mm. As in, can you just prioritize being with yourself? Silence like that. Because mm. uh, like you that could do sign language and have little silent giggles. Yeah, and, and still nod and smile and, you know, mm. um, interact. Mm. And this invitation around silence was less even about speaking. Um, it was more around can you just be with you for a week? And mm-hmm. so to be with ourselves for a week and then come to come into the sessions mm. where in the sessions we'd sigh and, and, and sing melodies and, and share and ask questions, it's amazing. I'll just speak personally what I experienced. It was amazing how much less I shared in the room in the sense that it just edits what you think is relevant. Like Mm. how much we're speaking just for the sake of making conversation, (laughs) just for the sake of the pleasantries, right? Just for podcasts. Just for the sake of being heard. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And suddenly I just felt like, am I speaking just to have someone nod along and make me feel good that they agree? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, A lot of the time, Probably. <laughs> so you became self-conscious about how much volume speech you do. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're refining to make it more potent. So that, yeah, that refined. And, and then to share my voice then felt like a privilege. Mm. Like 
when we, and there are moments in the room where like there's this melody, it's this living force in the room Mm. and everyone's voice is creating it and yet it's its own entity like that's birthed in the room and you're a part of that and you're hearing your hearing transforms so much when you're working with voice so deeply and, mm. and sound so deeply where you hear yourself in the room, you hear the melody, and then you have moments of other voices come in and, and, and out. So like there are moments where you hear individuals, particularly the people sitting around closest to you because you're in like a semicircle. Mm-hmm. And then there are moments where like you hear the masculine and you hear the feminine. Mm. Um, and, and, yeah, it's it's very trippy yeah. <laughs> um, to have that experience of like, what is real? Well, it's all real, but you ex- your hearing goes through these levels of experiencing mm. things um, so much more deeply. It's like your hearing you is really a sense. Mm. It's not this isolated thing of this thought experience, some level of thinking of, oh, I hear words, I hear this. Mm. It becomes a really embodied, like every cell hears. Mm. Your whole spine senses and hears sound and vibration. And and then you take that out of the room. And that aside, like one afternoon, my friend Tom and I were sitting opposite each other while we were in silence Mm. and he was eating soup and there was a full rhythm to his eating his lunch (laughs) like the sound of the spoon hitting the bowl the slurp of the soup Mm -hmm. and then the like the first inhale after taking the and like it became this like like (sighs) 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 and like I I burst out laughing yeah uh, and I shared it after in the room of like my hearing has has become this sharpened yeah has become this hd um, experience where I'm hearing the rhythm of life, mm-hmm. where the birds and people walking and the waves to the point where at one point it was almost like insanity, like <laughs> like until that became stabilized yeah. and normalized. Initially, it's like make it stop. I can hear everything so intensely, and mm. and because hearing's just one of our senses, when we refine any one of our senses, you better believe that's attached to our general awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt like I was getting such a big upgrade mm-hmm. um, on that level as well. Nice. And so when I hear music now, for the first time in my life, I hear the nuances of music, mm. something that was really blot. Like I, I didn't have that ear, you know, I couldn't hear the note. I couldn't hear when the music went from lower to higher. And for musicians that might, that is so, become so innate, they probably don't even realize it. But mm-hmm. for me, I couldn't, like when I was learning ukulele, I couldn't hear the rhythm in the song to be able to use that as my strumming pattern. Mm. And now it's effortless. Mm. It's innate. Like I hear not only the rhythms of life, I feel like I hear more potently what people are trying to say when they're speaking. Yeah. Um, but also music. It's like I've been listening to so much music and particularly I've, <laughs> I've been quite obsessed with, with um, music that's been coming from Africa. It's just that's what I've been drawn to. Like I hear the different instruments and I hear the sound of the singer's voice and mm. and the melody and, and the rhythm and just all of these pieces that have now revealed themselves to me in a way mm-hmm. that I, I never got to experience before. It's amazing that um, because I guess 
as someone who's played guitar that you develop that skill over 10 or 15 or 20 years and you don't realize just how stark the contrast is between the beginning and now it's like where now like you said I can listen to something figure out how to strum it probably you know break it down and all those layers are normalized but to get that experience in 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 three weeks must be like and something else is amazing. Sorry to cut you off. You're and right. something else that I want to share for anyone that's listening that feels like that still has the limiting belief of, oh, it's okay for musicians because they get it. I really got to embrace this idea of jamming. Mm. Like jamming was a really intimidating concept for me that like these musicians come together and they all just start playing and it all sounds good and you assume, oh, it's okay for them because they know what they're doing. But they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> the essence of a jam is you're just contributing a sound Mm -hmm. and listening to what sound is already there and contributing another layer to it. Mm -hmm. That sounds pretty obvious, but that because the thing that was screaming in my head is they're good and you're not, Mm. I never understood the simplicity of a jam is just adding a layer. Mm -hmm. It's just adding something of yours to what's to the collaboration that's happening in the space, whether it's with one other person or with many people. And Mm -hmm. so now suddenly I understand all you have to do to be creative and expressive through music is he- really listen to the sound in the room, mm-hmm. explore something with whatever you're working with, whether it's an instrument or your voice, and just add something simple mm-hmm. and then don't know. Like actually lose yourself in not knowing where it's going because that's when musicians create magic, not mm-hmm. when they have an intention, yeah. when they're just jamming and they have no intention and suddenly the brilliance of of imagine comes through by the Beatles or, Mm -hmm. you know, like by, by John Lennon or like, um, you know, anything that has come through in the form of poetry, in the form of music, Mm. um, it's come from the field of not knowing again, that unbounded field (laughs) that, um, that, that all the wisdom traditions talk about and quantum physics shares, it comes from nothingness. Mm -hmm. It comes from nowhere. And I like that idea too, of just add something, like just add something add a layer. You don't have to know the whole picture to add a layer. Yeah. Yeah. And that it builds slowly, you know, like jams are often just like do, do, do. And then someone else is adding uh, uh, whatever (laughs) they're doing and they build slowly. And then as you warm up, Mm -hmm. more comes out and your hearing becomes intensified and and Mm. you're letting go more and you're drawing more from that infinite potential of um, of vibration and, and manifesting it as, as vibrations and mm-hmm. sounds and instruments and notes and chords and words. Mm. It's yeah. also relevant actually to what we spoke about right at the beginning that from nothing comes something. Mm. That's the simplest thing we can say about manifestation from nothing comes something. And mm-hmm. so suddenly that nothing becomes the field of everything that mm. everything in the world, in the universe that exists and has existed comes from that space of, of no thingness. The quantum fieldness. The quantum field, yeah. Mm. Um, and and so that's why this 21-day journey, whilst it could be very practical for many of us who are trying to become more musical or trying to heal any blockages they have with self-expression, um, that ultimately was a very spiritual journey for mm. me for 21 days. Other people too, you'd think? Mm-hmm. Because people share really, you know, experiences that they're having and it's, mm. and it, admittedly, a does myth- it make you wonder that if you could say, I've been listening to music for all my life and I didn't realize the depth and complexity 
that I now have access to, that you now have access to, do you, does it make you trip out and think about what other senses also are not tuned in that way? All like, of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, it has reawoken this curiosity for all of it, mm. for how truly limitless mm. the expansion of our awareness is, mm. that no matter what we do, because whilst I'm a traditionalist in yoga, I really value the wisdom traditions and the history and the culture that, that yoga emerged from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've really explored many streams, you know, not just, tantric yoga which is my passion today and what i share today but Mm -hmm. i've gone and explored buddhism and vedanta and all these different streams Mm. but but of late i've i've dived into other modalities that have actually kept me moving forward on this path Mm -hmm. it hasn't been a lateral step it's continued to uh, project me me forward on my path that my meditations have been so much deeper and more effortless Mm -hmm. than ever before after coming back from this training. Mm. It was unbelievable. Mm. Um, uh, During the training and after the training, my dreams were insane, like Mm. during the training. And um, so I think there's so many ways. And actually, as I'm talking, I realize what a fundamentally tantric idea Mm. that, that, as we really choose to participate in life fully with our eyes and ears open, our hearts open, mm-hmm. the sacredness of life is revealed in every moment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very tantric view of like, yes, there's a system and a practice of yoga, but yoga is here and now mm-hmm. in every breath, in every moment, almost like make a decision, decide to love life and decide that life is a gift mm. right now and that's the experience that you're going to have, you know. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so mm-hmm. somehow now I feel like I've ventured far enough in in my yoga practice that anything I do is a teacher. Yeah. Anything I do is helping me grow and evolve and, and allowing my awareness to get more and more subtle. <clears throat> so like... Everything is is propelling me forward. Yeah, it's not. There's no way that you could have an experience in which you wouldn't reflect upon and learn something from it as well. Which yeah, is the, I'm that yeah. person. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think we all become the, that person. And how beautiful is that? You know, yeah. we were talking about um, what is most needed in the world today. Mm-hmm. We and we spoke about people who remember that they're not just the body. Mm-hmm. That they are infinitely potential. This is an interesting question and I don't know that you're going to have the answer for it. I know it just took you from what the world needs most today and diverted you somewhere else. Yes. But you're talking about being this unmanifested potential and having this experience in meditation of yourself beyond your self, beyond your identity, etc. And then you have this experience of yourself as you in this chair and with your identity and then you have this experience in this vocal training of your soul and where on the spectrum does that fit in for you <clears throat> for me my soul is like is like a a very subtle um ring around my unique consciousness mm-hmm. it's like Let's use a wave and ocean analogy. Yeah, but so it's like your individuality is very material, very here in the physical. The unmanifest is obviously the field of potential. 
right? So you feel that this ring is <laughs> it's getting a, very like well, and not a ring in a physical here. sense, right? In, in the sense that if I had to say, you know, this infinite field of energy mm-hmm. for a little while manifests as Irene for however many years I. I roam this planet just like a wave becomes an ocean but it's fundamentally made of ocean yes so the shape of the wave for me is the soul Mm -hmm. like the literally the um expression of consciousness Mm -hmm. to me is the soul of Mm -hmm. like we each are expressed in a unique way like we're a unique imprint um in life and and to me that's the essence of what the soul is it's not a physical thing and so to Mm -hmm. try and compartmentalize who we are and and find it almost becomes useless as soon as we've defined it because to me it's like it's almost like our soul is i'm gonna get a bit esoteric here but it's almost like our soul is um our mission on the planet and whilst we could say that that's our purpose to me it's the soul that dictates our purpose Mm -hmm. so it's like the blueprint yeah, like the work that we have to do. Mm. that, And so when we contact our soul, we contact the deepest, subtlest parts of who we are, which is encoded with this mission mm. um, to express itself as a particular physical expression and, you know, a, um, a desire to, to do things in the world um, so that we can go make our mark on this world or have a particular experience. And that's what the soul is to me, mm. less a physical place and more like, our mission. I wasn't, I know that you don't think it's a physical place, but then when your awareness is getting like into the, into the weeds, Mm -hmm. your awareness in meditation, would you feel your awareness goes beyond the soul in a sense, or is your awareness the soul in that sense? I think it does go beyond the soul. So Mm. if we, let's lean into some yogic language because it's helpful because it's far more helpful than just English. <laughs> I thought you were um, going to say then what you're saying. So what I'm saying in in the yo- <laughs> <laughs> it's far more helpful than what you're saying, Dan. It's much better than what you're doing. <laughs> um, no, so <laughs> some terms that are useful um, from the the yogic worldview, or if if we if we lean on Sankhya philosophy, say Atma. Yeah. So oh. so. Purusha and Prakriti are ways, mm-hmm. this is a very dualistic view, mm-hmm. um, that that says that there is consciousness, mm-hmm. what is unmanifest, mm-hmm. pure potential. Um, Purusha. Purusha. Mm-hmm. And then there is what is manifest, what is alive, what is created. Prakriti. Prakriti. Very mm, good, Jagrudev. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Prakriti and Purusha, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, together when the, that's this is this idea of duality mm. and that we could really say that that as what's and the ultimate source of reality is brahman mm. um, or just pure unbounded consciousness so that's the the infinite field so as the unbounded consciousness yes. as the infinite field begins to slowly manifest as something physical uh, begins to be created, infused with Prakriti and Purusha to create something mm-hmm. out of nothing, the first expression of that is is Atman, is soul. Mm. 
And so it's the very beginning of our individuality because mm-hmm. it's like it's my soul, mm-hmm. which is different to your soul, but it's leaning into the infinite field. Mm-hmm. Into, well, it's leaning into Purusha, into consciousness. Purusha is just, just leaning into the relative exactly. in, that, in that way. Exactly. So unbounded consciousness, there's this sense of like this splitting into Purusha and, and Prakriti. Mm-hmm. And the soul is like that first little bit of consciousness that, uh-huh. The deepest layer of our individuality that emerges. Right. So then when we meditate, we go beyond that and into the place where we are one and we are not separate. But this is what's so challenging about relative language. Yes. That it doesn't matter in the sense <laughs> that when you're getting to that point of like you're contacting your soul, mm-hmm. you're not in control at that point. Mm-hmm. Like you're not... The individuality isn't in control. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you're not choosing to go beyond it. There's no above or beyond. Like you're going to hit the the bottom of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to sink to that baseline of awareness when you're in an effortless state mm-hmm. in meditation, when you become effortless in meditation. Yes. And then it's only on our way back up that we can slowly with time and with consistent practice start to perceive uh, these... these uh, uh, more gross levels of awareness, mm-hmm. which we then can dissect for ourselves of like my soul, my this, my that. But by far for me in my life, my soul feels for me like inspiration mm-hmm. rather than like a physical experience of like, here's my mind and here's my witnessing mind. That almost feels very physical, that kind of process, mm-hmm. going through that mental process. Mm-hmm. Like, And then we say like, I feel like I'm doing it from my soul to me, that feels like a like it's in the heart, mm-hmm. and in fact, the yogic tradition, uh, in tantra, that you know, they talk about the hridaya, uh, hridayam, and and that's your spiritual heart, mm-hmm. not your physical heart or even your heart center anahata, your anahata chakra, but this place that is the culmination of all yogic teachings, mm-hmm. which is the seat of the soul, and mm-hmm. that once we've gone through these layers of body and mind, and we've really gone through this journey of awareness that we arrive at the seat of the soul Mm. yeah and then at that point when you're there you're falling back into consciousness Mm. you know so you know you bring up the soul and i've emerged out of this all trainings are cumulative right and all our life experiences are cumulative so i can't say that this so far that's been true for me yeah me too so i can't (laughs) say that that it's necessarily because this training was the most pointed at taking me there. Or it's just my time to have that experience. Is it recency experience. bias though? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like, so I can't say either way, but what mm. I'm feeling having emerged from this training is suddenly, suddenly this, it feels like my truth mm. is that I only want to invest time in the things that light my soul up. Mm. I only want to invest and there are some paying bills and, you know, things we need to do in the relative world that don't light up my soul. But I can do those things as and just get them done because I understand to live. There are certain <laughs> contracts we have with the relative world. If we want electricity, we have to pay bills. Yes. Um, but somehow the things that are more important to me have become clearer. Mm. And to me, that's the essence of soul, of like when you're really connected to soul, which for me is very tethered to purpose and Mm -hmm. mission on this planet. Like what does my individual self on the planet want to do, Mm -hmm. want to experience, want to share with the world? For me, 
that's that has become really crystallized mm. um and you know this game of forgetting and remembering is a tricky one you kind of have a really big experience after a training you've been a part of or a book that you've read or a deep meditation you come out of or an inspiring teacher you spend time with and you think it's going to last forever and it it doesn't it wears off yeah mm. just like you drink a glass of wine and that experience is going to wear off and mm -hmm. you go for a run and that feeling of endorphins in your body is going to wear <laughs> off. Like the, everything in life changes. The mm. relative world is in a constant state of flux. And um, somehow three weeks later, I'm still on such a high. Mm. I feel like I can't put a foot wrong and I'm so inspired and I feel so effortlessly at ease with life. I just mm. feel like this loving, effortless flow uh, with what is, um, and I really hope that stays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the most beautiful thing is I know that no matter what, I have so many practices and techniques now in my life um, that help me mm -hmm. re-experience that and, and remember that even more permanently. Mm -hmm. um, Do you let your practice slip when you feel good? <laughs> huh. Actually, I, feel, I find it much easier to practice when I... Uh, when I feel good, mm -hmm. I'm one of those people that in moments where I've done some big work and some of the things that have come up for me to sit with have been painful. Uh, that's been a weakness for me, like a trap door to mm. avoid doing the practice because I know it's going to reveal more. And it, it's, it's silly because the faster it reveals it, the faster it can, you can move through it. But mm -hmm. um, when I'm feeling good, it's easier to practice because suddenly my practice gets elevated to a totally different intention. Mm. It's not about, it's like I get filled with all this gratitude to be alive mm. and, and I want to commune with the part of myself that is most grateful that mm. this gift comes from. It's like I'm not doing something just to get rid of something else. I'm not practicing to get rid of stress mm. on the surface level that is so important and so useful. It might have been the way that you got here as well. But now it turns from that into a gratitude back to the person that did all that work. Yeah, and mm. I, and I I, I want to continue to fall in love with and meet the part of myself that all of this comes from, mm -hmm. um, that all of the meanness comes from. And so it, it's not like something I have to dedicate time to. It's I wouldn't want to spend time doing anything else. Mm -hmm. There's no other way I'd like to start my day. It becomes akin to all the pleasurable things I do in life. Like, do I want to go get ice cream? Hell yeah, I want to go get <laughs> ice cream. Do I want to have a bath? Do I want to have a massage? Things I love doing in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, do I want to play tennis with <laughs> Dan? Uh, my meditation practice, and for me, mm -hmm. yoga really these days is meditation, mm -hmm. even though I still do asana and pranayam. Uh, fundamentally for me, yoga is akin to meditation. Um, there's not, it's one of those things that I race towards. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to sit in meditation because I get to have this delicious, mm. beautiful, um, experience, um, of all the love and all the fulfillment and, and all the peace and all the wisdom, mm. um, that comes from, from that part of me, from my, my natural state. Mm. Lovely. Ah, oh, so take a breath. As Should a we do a big there. sigh? Ah. Ah. <laughs> Feels good, huh? Yeah, it's good. All right. Um, Have you had enough of me? <coughs> no. <laughs> I need more water, though. <laughs> you need more water? I think I've still got some. Oh. 
And because <laughs> we never know exactly when we'll get you back again, yep. we've got to get the most out of you as possible. Okay. So what about this yoga is not a practice? <laughs> you don't think that's a separate podcast? No, no. <laughs> I'm just um, taking all of your hits from Instagram and turning them into a potty. Yeah, I've been talking about all of this recently. Yeah. So something that's really alive for me at the moment is that yoga is not a practice. What? You just broke yoga. Yoga you is a state of the consciousness. World. Oh. So there's a few things in that. Mm. It's very easy for us to be mistaken and to think that yoga is something to do, mm-hmm. you know, that it's a technique that we can practice. Are you just being technical? And it is that. Mm. It is we do yoga exercises to have a particular experience. Because if we really stop to say, why am I doing this thing? Mm-hmm. Why do I get up every day at 6 a.m. and go to class and do this yoga practice? Mm. Now, if you haven't been practicing for very long... Um, you might even say it's because it makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. And that is absolutely true. We feel good. It helps us release stress from our nervous system. It helps us move from the mind into more of a feeling experience in our body. It allows us to drop into presence. Mm -hmm. It strengthens our body. It opens our body. It challenges us, yeah? Um, uh, So it does all these things, yeah? We could talk for an hour just on all the things it can do. Yes. And so, yeah, it is that. But what is the original methodology of yoga designed to help you experience Mm -hmm. your natural state? Mm -hmm. All that field, um, that loving, present, wise, um, joyful uh, (laughs) field that you are at your baseline. Yes. And so we may have just forgotten a little bit why we're doing this practice because Mm – you know, modern life tends to get fixated on the physical, right? Our attention is always outward. Mm-hmm. And so we may have done that a little bit with yoga as well. Mm. We, we've gotten really fixated on how yoga shapes our body and how we get better at doing the postures. Mm-hmm. Like when we really look at it through this portal, that st- sentence of, oh, I'm not very good at yoga is laughable. Mm-hmm. That we could actually comment that I'm not good at yoga. Basically what we're saying is I'm not good at being me Mm. i'm not good at being my most deepest innate me that is unconditional that half of us don't even know exists and i'm not good at that you're not good at that (laughs) based on the fact that you can't bend your body based based on the fact that you can't do a pose Mm. as well as someone else because also our view is relative Mm -hmm. we think i'm not good because that person is better way more stretchier and bendier than me (laughs) or stronger or can do more poses or whatever right Mm -hmm. can can sing the mantra better or whatever so yoga There is a system of yoga which has methodology and sequential steps and exercises that you can do Mm -hmm. in order to reveal an experience in us. And initially that experience is just feeling good because to be present and to breathe and to be in our bodies feels good. Mm -hmm. But anything can make you feel good like that, playing tennis or surfing or running. Yeah, that's no different to any other form of exercise. When we really get into it, people will tell us, oh, I don't need to meditate because I run and that's what I what I get from that. Mm-hmm. Yes, <clears throat> and that's why yoga is that and. Mm-hmm. Yoga is a state, your natural state, mm-hmm. where as we've said it you know, so much that I won't repeat myself too much, but that natural state of yoga, that state of being, 
that's what we want to uncover. Mm. So if you're practicing yoga regularly and, you know, some of you who are listening may have been practicing for a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. If you're not having that experience, if you don't, if it's all very abstract when we talk about experiencing your deepest nature and the subtlest parts of who you are, I would say there's there's some value in reflecting on what you're practicing and 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 what's next for you in your practice. Mm-hmm. Because yoga is a state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. The word yoga is synonymous with our natural state, our highest state, mm-hmm. and it is the birthright of everyone. Union, union with what? Union of all the parts of ourselves, mm-hmm. the physical, the mental and the transcendent, the mm-hmm. energetic or the soul. Mm-hmm. And so Atma. Atma, mm-hmm. yeah. And so um you keep distracting me. <laughs> and so... Um, yoga is not a practice. Right? Yeah. Yoga allows like you to poem. be more present and more focused. Yoga is not a practice. You can bend and you can stretch. Yoga is not a practice. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anymore. You can continue. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So... So what you're saying is this is like a little wake-up call if you've been practicing for a long time and you're not having a deeper experience. It's time to check out what you're doing and maybe yeah. look around. I- well, it's Shop. a wake-up call that we all need to have because mm. when we look at the fact that a human being is a spectrum and we can experience this spectrum from physical, mental, emotional, beyond, mm-hmm. then if our yoga practice isn't revealing all of that to us, it's out of sync with what the wisdom, the knowledge of this practice is sharing to us. So mm. it's like we go and we learn about the koshas or the five layers of being. and We, we don't learn... even get me started. We haven't even started on that. Yeah. yeah that's a different podcast. I think we've pottied about that before. Did we? And we talk about om as like the <clears throat> first sound expressive of nature and mm-hmm. coming from this unbounded field. It's like we learn about all that stuff and we om in class and, you know, we wear T-shirts with oms on it. And then no, well, none of us are having anything close to that experience in our yoga classes. Mm. We have our yoga membership and we're paying thousands of dollars a year to make these shapes and it makes us feel good. Just like running on the treadmill would make you feel good. Just Mm -hmm. like gardening would make you feel good. So it's like, why are we doing this is what's important to know. Yeah. Because we've all had that wake up call. Those of us that have gotten curious about diving deeper in yoga, Mm. we've all had that moment. We've said, okay, and now what? Mm. And so... I hope lots of people listening to this have that same experience or they're sitting along nodding like, yeah, yeah, I had that too. We all have a moment in time when we realize there's something more Mm -hmm. um, than just the physicality of the practice. Mm. And that's no secret even in public classes. We talk about how breath is more important and then a lot of the time we go about just moving the body for the next hour or, you know, pedestaling movement over breath. Mm -hmm. So our theme might be breath. It's very hard to take a picture of breath for Instagram though. That's the problem. And that too, you know, the fact that we broadcast everything on social media these days, it's Mm. far more popular to do something acrobatic than to breathe, talk about the mind, you know, Mm. or or to, yeah, to show yourself doing a breathing technique. Initially, what's captured, what captures people's attention is the shape, is the image. Yeah. Mm. So, so let's come back to yoga is not a practice. It's a state of consciousness. What that means is that yoga is is a way of being mm-hmm. is a, is is who you are mm-hmm. it's the deepest part of who you are um and that where our intention slightly gets diverted from i want to do this thing and i want to do it well to what do i want to be mm-hmm. <laughs> 
It's a crude use of language. <laughs> or who, who do I want to be? Yeah. What experience do I want to have? Mm. And so my yoga practice becomes less about getting somewhere physical. On the surface, we'll still do that. We'll still have a sequence and we'll do yoga asana. But perhaps we're not only advancing in what we're capable of doing physically, but our yoga practice actually delivers us to a deeper state. Mm. And so when we said at the beginning, yoga is meditation, yoga is not a practice. Yoga is a state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And what state is that? Initially, we experience that in a meditative state, mm -hmm. that it's only when we really do the complete practice and we go from moving and doing and focusing to becoming more and more effortless, more and more still, and we rest in the stillness and the silence that's when we get to experience that part of us that doesn't is beyond the body, is mm -hmm. beyond the mind. To some extent, we have to stop doing in order to experience being. Mm -hmm. And so if yoga is a state, of, is our highest state, our natural state, mm -hmm. then really it's meditation that can allow us to have that experience much more immediately than a, a yoga pose can. Mm -hmm. And yet... Doing yoga poses to strengthen the body, to open the body, to allow more energy to flow through the body, to learn to be disciplined, and then working with breath, a more subtle layer, which um, is more potent as well, more tethered to the nervous system, stimulating mm -hmm. and grounding our nervous system. All of that makes it much easier to meditate. Mm -hmm. All of that drop us in, drops us into the state of meditation, the baseline of which is yoga, mm -hmm. much more imminently and, and, and skillfully. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to throw out asana and, and pranayama and say, oh, well, now it's only about meditation. But ultimately this idea of this provocative statement of yoga is meditation is that that masterful system was created by the rishis, by the yogis, to help us experience meditation mm -hmm. more powerfully, mm. to therefore through that process help us experience yoga, that yoga is who we are. Mm. That even though we think we're doing this thing, oh, I want to do yoga, I want to get better at yoga, we're getting better at remembering who we are. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Agreed. I can't answer anything else to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> Sat. Truth. Sat. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so at the moment, yes. I guess, I guess, I don't know if this is a final wrap up or just to wrap up that thought, you know, that's all I'm interested in really sharing at the moment mm -hmm. and talking about and experiencing at the moment. I feel so undistracted by, by what I think, um, uh, people will resonate with. Mm-hmm. I feel so inspired to just teach what is I'm passionate about, what I'm inspired mm -hmm. to share and really what my deepest experience has been because all this comes from like I've had the experience and so now I'm hungry to to scream from the rooftops, hey guys, <laughs> life is a gift. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to feel that too. Um, and so, so much of my teaching has really become about that, um, mm. about meeting people and hearing where they're at in their yoga practice, what they're practicing, mm -hmm. and then um, what's happening in their lives. Because if yoga is a masterful system for self-awareness, mm. for awakening, and to experience the joy of living, if you're practicing every day or even three days a week, if you're practicing consistently mm. and you're not having that experience... Then what's the point? Well, you're not getting as much as you can out of it. Bang for your buck. Yeah. 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 The the, <clears throat> the good juju comes comes deeper. And so mm. 
I want people to, one, become aware of that, that mm. your practice should not only make you feel good but should transform the person who is feeling good mm -hmm. and allow you to have that experience all the time, not just after yoga class. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I want people to understand that it's this complex system. It's mm. a vast system that at any time we don't need to be doing all of it. Like at different times in our life, we'll need to do different kinds of practice. So mm. not only do we need to experience the complete practice, but at different times in your life, you'll be practicing different things. Mm. And that has to evolve as you evolve. Mm. And so when we go to 60-minute classes, fantastic, because it allows the masses to experience the system of yoga. But that's always going to be limited mm. when we really accept that each one of us is different our constitution our desires our conditioning our goals and so the yoga practice that we're doing really needs to meet each individual mm -hmm. some of us need to do a more stimulating practice some of us need to do a more grounding practice right so we can better prepare ourselves to have that deeper experience of of ourselves and of life so um now i'm that's all i'm kind of excited about mm -hmm. like whether it's in yoga teacher trainings or, or retreats, um, that's what I want to share. And uh, recently, Josh, who I teach yoga with, and I, we've been really, like, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're sharing this practice intensive in Melbourne. Um, it's called Force of Nature uh, because even though we've given a lot of time and energy in the last few years to teaching teachers, uh, we're more inspired than ever as we're both um, feeling more and more stable and inspired in life. Mm. to just inspire people to practice. Mm. So like we're running two days of it's just a practice intensive. You come and you do the complete practice every day and we pair that with more opportunity to immerse in the knowledge from the wisdom traditions and um, from Tantra. So that's for like non-teachers or? It's for anybody who right. wants to practice. And, and I, you could come even if you'd never done yoga. How amazing to from the first time really have the whole system laid out for you and and dive in, in deep. my humble opinion yeah get you to focus on the right thing um yeah. you know or, or the highest goal mm -hmm. <laughs> uh in yoga which is to feel good all the time mm -hmm. to to have this um this totally transformed experience of life like that's mm. what i want rather than to feel good for a few hours so yeah. um so it could be from if you're a teacher if you're practicing for the first time or wherever you are in your yoga practice mm. um any age like people could come and just immerse in in yoga for two days with us mm -hmm. and i see us is that a residential or non-residential in melbourne it's non-residential it's just an urban retreat right whereabouts is that um so it's going to be in in brunswick uh-huh um and uh yeah cool in brunswick in in melbourne mm -hmm. and um and <clears throat> yeah like we're just we're super inspired just to to share this incredible practice of of tantric yoga that has mm. completely transformed us. Mm -hmm. With meditation um, involved as well. Always. So for Pranayam. us, yeah, the complete practice for us is um, kirtan, as asana, bhakti, pranayama. Very good. I'm coming. And meditation. Shit. <laughs> You're coming to Melbourne. Yes. And um and for us that always means mantra. So mm. a really a really um, a, a part of tantric yoga that sets it apart from other styles is using mantra extensively in meditation and in the yoga asana. And, mm. and so for us, um, we find 
that bhakti practice of chanting really potent and we always infuse it in with the tantric yoga work that we do um but uh uh but that we use mantra even within our our standard hatha practice as mm-hmm. well i had a, an experience of trying to infuse mantra into the po- yoga poses at uh brighton health club what happened? <laughs> no. What happened with that experiment? <laughs> uh, what happened was uh, I, I was left there like alone. No one went with me. I was like, we're going to do the pose and we'll say the mantra, rum, rum, rum. And then nobody chimed in with me and just left me hanging, guys. Uh, you're opening something so powerful. You've got to read the room, right? This wasn't the and right setting <laughs> for that. Yeah. <laughs> On the surface level, it's that. But I also think... Anything that is different can be scary, right? Mm. And so I think that where we're at with yoga, like I'm a staunch traditionalist, right? Like mm. we, we, t- we take people to India every year on retreat and on teacher training so that they can pay respect really and, mm. and get to experience firsthand the culture from which this practice came. Mm. So that's so important to us. But is every single person walking in the street going to have an interest in learning about Indian culture? Mm. Not necessarily. No. And so if what we experience, of, for me it's hard to separate India and the culture of India and, and Sanskrit and, you know, Vedic knowledge from the gold of this. And I don't find it triggering at all. I find it so romantic and interesting. And mm-hmm. um, But I do think if we just hit people with anything that is like a reference that might feel different, alien, maybe even religious or Mm. even overtly spiritual before people are identified even as as spiritual rather than religious. Mm -hmm. I think it can turn people away a little bit. Yeah, I found that. (laughs) Let alone, because even if the word wasn't rum, even if it was love or even if it was hello or Mm -hmm. whatever we could think of that is less triggering than than a a foreign sound like rum. They've got to express it in public. Self-expression in the room is, as we know, (laughs) potentially a block for some of us. And Yeah. yeah. It was a good learning moment as a teacher. Yeah, read the room. Happy for you. <laughs> yeah, especially but, when you're teaching a, a fill-in yoga class at a at a at a health club and not a yoga class at all. <laughs> I just went out there on a limb, you know. Yeah. I, I know what it feels like to be on a limb now. T- to be out on a ledge on your own. <laughs> out on a limb. <laughs> I was like, all right, looks like the rest of the class has to change. <laughs> okay, actually, change of plan, guys. You do the pose. I'm just going to chant the mantra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like all laughter aside, like I think if we want people to have an ex- – because we need people to have a direct experience of something as powerful to have to buy in and mm-hmm. possibly inspire behavioural change. So even as we say that, that could even be powerful, you know, to play a subtle mantra throughout the class and, and have people exposed to the grounding mm-hmm. um, impact of mantras before they have to sort of chant them in a room full of strangers. Yeah. Um, to – at the end of the class, get people to repeat the sound internally silently before they mm-hmm. chant it out loud to the room. Yeah. You do have to have a little bit of trust with them before they'll come along on that journey. With yeah, you. it was it was five minutes deep into a fill in class. <laughs> <laughs> you do like to dive in like yeah. your first question to me around non dual and dual and right, bounded yeah. unbounded awareness. That's right. I was like, guys, yoga's not a practice. 
boom, here's a mantra. It's a state of consciousness. It's, yeah. it's who you are. That's right. Ram, ram, ram. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Went something like that. Oh. Cool. So then what, how long are you here for in the, in the Shire? The I'm Byron not Shire? here for very long at all. Oh. Um, this weekend I'm teaching at Zenko Yoga in Noosa. Ooh. Yeah, which is mm. going to be really fun. Um, we're going to take people through a kirtan and then two of our master workshops, one the Lunar Force um, to explore working with um, grounding and stabilizing in yoga and, and working with the mind mm-hmm. um, and then energetic alchemy, which really um, uh, drops us into that polarity of sun and moon mm-hmm. that hatha really means when you unpack its meaning, one mm-hmm. of its meanings. Um to work with both stimulating and grounding through the breath and through mantra and through our, our yoga practice. Mm, yummy. Yeah. It's going to mm. be really juicy. So that's like the, the signature sort of offerings that we offer at workshops when mm-hmm. we don't get a chance to like have a, a two day full dive in like we're doing in Melbourne the following weekend. Yeah. And so, uh, it's, oh, so you leave the week later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you're gone across the world, right? Then I'm gone. Tuscany, London, India, Switzerland, yep. Sweden, yep. Germany, Berlin, Paris. I don't know. I'm making things up now. Yeah. <laughs> but Europe. Yeah, we're going to Europe, mm. uh, Bali. We've got a Bali first, actually, for our 300-hour mm. training. Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm coming. So we've got that. And then we go to yeah Europe and then we go to India. Yes. That's sick. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'll see you Christmas then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And any spiritual wisdoms or quote? You, like the whole this whole podcast is a spiritual wisdom or quote, but <laughs> <laughs> is there any anything that's your um that you're uh, yeah. meditating on at the moment? Yeah, recently um this line has been has been resonating through me and out of me. And I want to share it because it kind of feels like um, at the moment the expression of of what I want to help people experience in their life. And that is you are a force of nature. Mm. Like really let that sink in. Just like, you know, the power of the ocean and the wind and the sun and all of these elements out in the world that we take for granted every day, but are so powerful, Mm. so powerful for sustenance of life, but also for destruction Mm -hmm. if used in a particular way. Mm. We are also a force of nature. Our power comes from the same field that the power of all these elements comes from, that every animal draws its power from. Mm. And we have not only this incredible power within us, we have the gift of self-awareness to be able to choose how we share that power with the world. Mm. And the practice of yoga is really this. It's not a practice. The, <laughs> <laughs> the system of yoga. Yes, thank you. Is, um, thanks, Dan, <laughs> keeping me accountable. The system of yoga is uh, this masterful way of refining our nervous system and the way we see ourselves and the way we see the world until that's the experience we're left with, until Mm. we know that we are boundlessly powerful and we're inspired to use that. um, For good. Yeah, use that. Well, All good, actually. And really to just 
do what ex- inspires us in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to say that most people are good. And if they're having that experience of their their deepest state where that all that power comes from, because mm-hmm. I know that field to be joyful and, and loving and peaceful, I, I know that when, when people marinate in that and, and empower that in the world, mm-hmm. that's... That's what this this beautiful planet needs right now. Yeah. To heal it and our climate and to really to live as though this life is an absolute gift. Sacred. Yeah, a mm. sacred gift that that each and every one of us <clears throat> is a force. And responsible too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's that's my little bit I I I hope that anyone listening gets inspired to to move closer to having that experience in themselves. Mm, thank you very much. And thank you for coming and sharing your wisdoms again. Thanks, Dan. And um, do you have any toilet paper? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all mine. <laughs> <laughs>